Take your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of the book of Philippians. And what I told him was that I don't sure I need 45 minutes, and I don't know that you want, well, I don't know. Well, tonight is not 45 minutes anyway, but thank you for that extra song, Bruce. That was kind of you. Two weeks from tonight, um, I will be bringing, I, I guess, a message. I guess that's the best word for it. Um, about what does the Bible have to say and what, what do we believe Scripture teaches about the issue of um, same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage. I was very um, appreciative of someone who said to me, I just don't want us to be in any way um, unkind. And, and I, was, I was personally not shocked exactly, but I, because that is the last thing on my heart. Um, I grew up in music school. Many of my peers were in same-sex relationships way back in the 70s and 80s when about the only place it was popular was in the arts world. And some of my dearest friends are in same-sex relationships to this day. I love them dearly. Um, I harbor no ill will toward them. I, I love them. I want them to know the truth. Um, I pray for them. But I also pray for my friends who um, say, well, God made me an alcoholic, and so I guess that means it's okay for me to drink. Or God made me with an overactive sex drive, so that's why I sleep with every woman that will give me the, the permission. And, 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 and I love people dearly, even though we all struggle with sin in our lives. And the sin of a same-sex a relationship is no worse, no greater than any other sin of indulging our sin and our fleshly desires over above what God would want. So if you have any inclination to think that this is somehow either going to be negative or some kind of a bashing thing, I can assure you it will not be. Um, I have three gay friends in this community that I'm going to invite to be here that night. Uh, I don't know that they'll come, but I'm going to invite them. They are dear friends. I love them dearly, and I would like for them to be here. Because I want them to hear just that, that our heart is a heart of love. Unfortunately, in, in the GLBT community, there is uh, a lot of rhetoric about, if you can't accept what I do, then you can't accept me. And that is not built on logic. Um, I do things that I hope you don't accept. Uh, I've confessed to you before times on a Wednesday night when I was trying to keep 40 kids all flocked together and one of you had to ask me a burning question and I would say, I can't talk to you right now. Can't you see I'm busy? And then I had to go back and say, I'm really sorry. That really was wrong with me. I shouldn't have done that. And, and, and you love me in spite of the fact that you don't agree with the way I responded. It was, I didn't respond in a godly manner. And, um, but unfortunately, there, are, there are, are many of us who say, well, if you can't accept the choice I make, then that means you don't accept me. And I hope that we can begin to put some of that to rest. But that will be on the 12th. And, um, but I, I do believe with all my heart that we cannot step away from the truth of God's Word. The truth of God's Word is clear, um, I believe. Um, and I want you to be able to leave here that night with a guide that you can take that will tell you how to lovingly and graciously um, respond when you are asked. I still believe that 1 Peter is, is, the, is the foundation on which we should deal, which is we should always be ready to give an answer when someone asks us. I don't think we need to go looking for fights. I don't think we need to go looking for arguments. I just think we need to be ready to give an answer when someone says, well, what does your church believe about this? What do you feel about this? And you'll be able to give a cogent response to that 
Um, so I hope that it'll, it will be of help to you. Um, believe me, I have no access to grind. Some of you have asked me many times, Pastor, you plan on preaching a sermon on hot but- or a series on hot button issues and stuff? And I said, No, we're just going to preach the word, and the word will get to all those things. Uh, but sometimes there are seminal, pivotal moments when I think we need to speak, and uh, I hope that if you're uncomfortable, that you will pray for us. If you choose not to be here, that will be fine, of course, as well. Philippians chapter one. I'm going to read verses one through eleven. I accidentally gave Donna the wrong the wrong title and text for tonight. We we've, we we're going to look at verses seven and eight, but I want to I want you to hear it in the context of the entire section. So we're going to begin Philippians chapter one. Verse 1 down to verse 11. Listen, this is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds as your spirit combines with your word, bringing it to life for those of us who have the life of Christ within us. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask this, Father. Amen. There are many, many things that give a pastor great joy. I shared one of them in our Bible study this afternoon. One of the greatest joys that I think any pastor can have is to walk into Tequila's one Tuesday afternoon and see two la- and see two ladies that are members of his church family sitting together at a table with their Bibles open on the table talking together about God's Word. Because that means that we understand that God's Word is not just something that's the focus of our life on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or, Saturday, or Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. It is the focus of our life all the time. And it is a tremendous joy. I think it's, if there's any joy even greater, it's when I see one of our church family, with, say a church member from First Columbia or somebody else that they know, and they're sitting together saying, well, what did you hear at church today or this weekend? What were you taught? What did you learn in Sunday school? Because they're in the same curriculum that we're in. They're also in ETB, and so they're studying First John right now as well. But they're not, John's not, not preaching from it. John is still stuck in, in, uh, in Luke. Um, um, well, never mind, I won't go there, but um, he's still in Luke. <laughs> but, uh, he's been in Luke about four years now, I think. Um, not really, but it's been a while. Um, it's what I get for lending him my commentary. See, that's what happened. Um, but um, but that, to me, that just brings so much joy. But another, another joyful thing is watching and seeing as people with whom you have ministered and to whom you have had the opportunity to be used of the Lord to serve, watch as they grow up 
in the faith. It can happen within a church family. It can happen with church families that you, that you knew. Um, Sharon and I were talking about youth that were in our youth group when we were in Peoria now are bringing their teenage children to Super Summer and, and hearing about how they're doing and how they're growing and how they're leading in their churches. Um, to go back to Meadow Heights after 10 years and seeing that the handbell choir that God led us to start there is still traveling all over Madison County and ringing because of the, of the ministry that they do. And that is not to our glory, it's to God's glory. But it is a joy when you see that. And that's the kind of joy that Paul had as he writes to this church in Philippi. It's been a number of years since he had made his last trip there. And now he is sitting in Rome, and he has a guard on either side of him, and he's chained to them. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about this, this um, very practical, in, uh, what's the word for it? Not especially inconsistent, that's not the right word. Uncomfortableness, which isn't really a word, but I can't think of a good word at the moment, of, of never being alone. And I mean never. Do I need to say any more about that? You're never alone when you have a guard chained to you with a six inch or eight inch chain and he has a handcuff on him and you have a handcuff on you you're never alone there's never a private moment and yet Paul saw that as one of the greatest things in his life because he had an opportunity to share the gospel and he would he would lead that jailer to Christ that that guard to Christ and then he would say now you need to find an excuse to go get another assignment so you can bring another guy in to take your place and so he would he would get a transfer and another guy would come in burly you know and rough and Paul would begin talking to him and sharing the gospel with him. And they say, you know, he's been one to the Lord. And he said, now you need to go so I can bring another one. And oh, of course, you know, it says the whole Praetorian Guard had come to hear the gospel. And those were the men who were assigned to guard the, the, the prisoners that were waiting trial in Rome. But while he's doing that, he's sending this letter back to the Philippian church, back to these beloved friends of his, sharing his love for them, encouraging them, and the struggle they were having in their faith. And tonight I want us to look at two very simple verses in this chapter, in this uh, paragraph that we read, verses 7 and 8. Let me read them to you again, if I may. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What I would like for us to do over these next few minutes is to look at the three things that stimulated Paul's love for this Philippian church out of these two verses. There are three things that we find that stimulated his love for them and caused him to write the way he did. Before we start, let me just make one little technical point. When you look at the beginning of verse 7, he's just said in verse 6, the, the verse that we sang a minute ago, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will, be, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. And the temptation is to think that he means, think this way about what I just said. But I really think what he's referring to is, because this is all one big sentence, about the thanks that he gives to God back in verse 3, always praying with joy for you because of your partnership in the gospel. And then he almost has this little footnote Verse 6 is almost like a, a, a parenthetical statement. And then he says, it's right for me to think this way about you. In other words, it's right for me to have thankfulness and joy in my heart for you for the following three reasons. Number one, because he had an affection that came from his heart. You notice he says right at the beginning of verse 7, 
It is right me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. One of the reasons I really believe that that's referring back to that because it would make no sense for him to say the reason I believe that God will complete his work in you is because I have you in my heart. That doesn't even make any logical sense. But for him to say the reason I am so thankful for you is because I love you so much from my heart. Now you've got to remember when Paul said this, he wasn't saying this glibly. The word heart wasn't kind of like what we, you know, where we do the little symbol like this, you know, and, and, uh, and we, we have little hearts on our underwear and, and we send little pink hearts on Valentine's Day. You know, the, Paul had no pink heart underwear. I can guarantee you that. For Paul to say, I have you in my heart was a very deep and passionate statement that he made about them. He says, I carry you close to me. I think of you and I can picture in my mind Lydia. That was the name I was looking for, Mary, by the way. Lydia who was that young woman who led a prayer group by the river there in Philippi because there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. And so she was there, and the women gathered with her because there was no man to lead a service. And Paul and Barnabas had the opportunity to lead her to Christ. And then that Philippian jailer who had them in the stocks, and then the earthquake came, and the chains fell off, and he fell on his knees and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they led him and his whole family to Christ. And, and then there was Euodia and Sintiki, those two wonderful godly women who just had gotten crossways with each other. So glad that doesn't happen anymore in churches where two ladies or, or two men, for that matter, get crossways with each other over something. And yet he still loved them dearly. And he said, I have you in my heart, this intensity that he felt for them. You see, for Paul... These people were not just an assignment he had been given. They weren't just notches on his belt, as it were, of people that he had led to Christ. One more presentation of the gospel, one more person saved, one more tick on the list, and now let's go on to the next person. He cared deeply for them and who they were. They are vitally important to him in his heart. The second thing is that not only did he have them in his heart, also he loved them because of the fellowship that they had together. In the second half of verse 7, he says, you are all partners with me in grace. Partners. Back up in verse 5, he talked about partnership in the gospel. Both of these words come from that great word that we love and know so well, koinonia, that word for fellowship, Now it's translated in the English to partnership. And actually, in verse 5, it is literally the word koinonia because of your koinonia in the gospel. The fact that we were together. And you remember several weeks ago, I talked to you about this concept of fellowship. And it meant more than having a cup of coffee and a donut in the fellowship hall before Sunday school. It is about a sense of being in in, in 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 a true partnership Almost like uh, in a legal sense. If you think about what a legal partnership is, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that when you are a partner with another person and you form a business, that business itself takes on its own unique identity. It is part and parcel, both of you working together, or however many there are in the partnership, as they come together and create this thing that all sinks together, rises together, falls together, lives together, dies together. And Paul said, this is the way I saw you as we worked together in the gospel. We were partners. And then in verse 7, he picks up on that same word, and the word is synchrononoi, 
And it's, it's a form of koinonia, but it means that they were literally, we were fellowshippers together. You are all fellowshippers with me in grace. They all had worked together and the Philippians had said, we're going to stand by your side, Paul, in good or in bad. We're going to find out later in this letter that there were some in Rome where Paul was imprisoned that were feeling that because Paul was in jail, he must have done something wrong and so we shouldn't follow him anymore. Some of us will remember the days when... um, well, there's days today, but, but there were, I remember back in the 70s, I remember what the guy's name was. It was a very famous evangelist that was arrested. I want to say it was because he was preaching the gospel in a place that he hadn't gotten a permit for or something. I don't remember now what it was. And, and you know, and there were some people that said, well, we just shouldn't, we shouldn't listen to him anymore because obviously he doesn't obey the laws. He's not following the law. And other people said, well, he was preaching the gospel, you know, and, and, and you know, this is just some kind of a persecution or whatever. And there were people in the church at Rome that said, you know, Paul, if, if, if he's in jail, he must have done something he shouldn't have done. And so we probably shouldn't be following more. Others say, no, no, the reason he's in jail is because of the gospel. But those Philippian Christians had said, we're going to stick with you no matter what. You're going to find out later in, in this letter that there was a very specific way they did it. They sent him a gift to help him while he was there they had sent so really this is a thank you note it's an extended thank you note um if you ever get one of my little half folded pieces of paper with a just want you to know i'm praying for you you know just thank the lord i'm not paul okay i would have sent you a five-page letter okay so and then asked you what you think of my letter but paul says i love you because we have partnered together in the gospel and in God's grace. They both had experienced the grace of God, that undeserved love, that unmerited favor of God. And then he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. Now those two words, defense and establishment, are technical legal terms that describe what you would do in a court of law when you were defending and establishing the truth of your case. So it may have reference to Paul's trials that he had faced or maybe it was just the way that he defended the gospel when he was preaching but the point of it was whether I'm in prison which by all appearances would appear like I'm not getting to do anything for the gospel which really we know he was or whether I am out there free you have been partners with me you were not fair weather friends you have walked with us through good times and through bad and then the third thing in verse 8 For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's affection was from his heart. His affection was from the fellowship. But his affection ultimately was from Christ. Now, there's a very interesting word in verse 8. This word affection is a very well sanitized word. You're all over 21. Um, the word literally is bowels, okay? Because in the ancient world, they believed that the seat of your emotions was in your intestines. That's why when you get nervous or you get excited, you begin to feel it here in your in your gut, as we would say, okay? Now, the word is splanktha, if you want to know, you want to know your Greek for the day, Um and I don't say that to be rude by any means, but, but, but I want you to understand the intensity which Paul's talking about. Paul's not saying, I really like you guys. I think you're really cool. He says, no, no, no. I have this deep emotion for you, but it's not my emotion. It's the emotion of Christ. 
I have this because of Christ's love for you and his love for me and the bond that creates for us. And so I love you with the affection of Christ. I love you with the emotion and the depth of feeling and the passion that, that literally just, just I can feel in the depth of my gut for you because of Christ's love for you. This was the source of his love. The intensity, it was from his heart. The ground of it was in their fellowship. And the source of it was Christ Jesus. Paul loved this church. He loved these people deeply. I don't know about you, but sometimes maybe you have trouble saying with him in verse 7, I think this way about all of you. That person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, in your Sunday school class that talks a little too loud, or the person that can't sing quite on pitch that has to be right behind you singing in your ear when you're trying to sing on a Sunday morning. You see, what happens is we get our own affections and our own desires and our own preferences, and we let them get in the way of this kind of love. And if Paul can teach us anything in this section of Philippians, it is how we need to love one another. To begin with, we need to learn how to love each other from our hearts. I've said this before. I know there are things about me that you wish I would do differently. You wish I wouldn't talk so fast. You, you wish I would do other things differently. I, I don't know. Um, maybe there are words I use that you don't prefer. I come from a part of the country where to say certain things wasn't considered rude in this part of the country, it may be, and vice versa. I don't know. But we have to learn to love each other from our hearts. I may not like everything a person does. I may not like the way they deal with things. I may not like their, their temperament or their personality exactly, but I love them from my heart because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We've all been saved by God's grace. And learning how to love each other from our hearts. To look at that person and smile and say, yeah, she's kind of a curmudgeon, isn't she? But you know what? I just love her to death. Yeah, boy. He can find that one black Rice Krispie in that bowl of Rice Krispies. You know that one, that the little Rice Krispie that gets burned and there's always one in every box of Rice Krispies? He can always find that one little black Rice Krispie. But you know what? He really is a great guy. You see, that's because the love you have comes from your heart and not just from your head, and not from your own preference. We need to love each other because we recognize we're in this thing together. We are partners. Under God's leadership, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, with Christ working in our midst. And by the way, I think I mentioned this to you was it last week or two weeks ago, whenever we did verse 6, that that word in, he who started a good work in you, is not the, in Greek there are two words for in. It doesn't necessarily mean inside of you. It means in your midst among you he who began a good work among you will be faithful to complete it because the you is plural and so well, it is inside of each one of us but it's also among us and so when we see that within and among us god is working as we reach out into our communities we reach out into the, our town as we reach out across the county as we reach across the county line into st Clair county and down into randolph county that we are doing god's work and we're partners and that god would not have put us here unless he knew that we had a role to play in that partnership not everybody can do what you do 
Not everybody's gifted to do what you do. And I know it's hard because if you love a certain thing, you think everybody else should love it too. If you love working with children, you go, how can people not love kids? Or if you just absolutely love Life Tree Cafe, you go, why don't more people come to Life Tree Cafe? Or if you love WMU, you don't know why not every woman is at WMU or whatever it may be. But the bottom line is we're all partners. And in a partnership, every partner has their own role that they play. I worked for a law firm for a while when I was in seminary, and I watched how those partners worked together. And it was amazing. One guy took care of the book work. One guy took care of the relationship with the, with the, with the staff. One guy took care of the government issues, which is constantly in a law office. Um, but they all had their own role that they played, and they understood that. And no one tried to cross over the other and said, you know what? You know how to do that better than anybody else in the partnership. You take care of it. And in the same way, God has gifted us with spiritual gifts. And so we're partners, and so we love each other. Because each one of us is here for a reason. Each one of us has a purpose. And finally, we love each other because the love of Christ dwells and overflows out of us. This is what links us to 1 John. John, who is talking and talking and talking and talking and talking about love and loving one another and how we love one another and how it flows out of us, this wellspring of love that comes because of Christ's love for us. Paul says, I love you passionately in my gut with the passion and the love of Christ who loved me and who loves you. And so I love you because we are bound together in Christ. Let's be perfectly honest. Some of the people in this church family, if you were just out in the world, they probably would not be the first person you would choose to go have lunch with. Not they're bad people. They just wouldn't be the people you would choose to be your friends. But you know what? God puts us together as a family. And so we begin to love each other because of the love that Christ has for us and the love that he has for them and the love that we have for one another then ties in with his love and we begin to feel that depth of, of caring and compassion because of the work that he's doing in us that he will continue to do until he completes it in Christ Jesus. So as you go tonight, I want you to think about how you express love for the people that are part of your spiritual family right here in the first family of Waterloo, the first family of First Baptist Church. How do you deal with that person that Satan tries to convince you you don't have to really like a whole lot you can kind of yeah well i love them but i just don't like them and when deep in your heart you know that's not the way you're supposed to feel how can you say how can you begin to say lord i want to have that kind of love i want to have a love that comes from my heart i want a love that comes from the fact that we are partners together and i want a love that is born out of your love for me and your love for that person and the love that you have by bringing us together into a church family to minister together for the sake of the gospel i love you i'm so thankful that god called me here i'm so thankful that you called on that Tuesday before the other church called on Wednesday and I said, sorry, you're too late. I've already committed to go to Waterloo and talk to them. That was God's timing and I thank him for that literally almost every single day that he called me here. I can be with you. And as long as the Lord will allow me to stay and you will hear his voice and affirm his calling, I look forward to us continuing to serve him together with hearts of love for each other based on the partnership we have and the love of Christ that flows through all of us. And I want you to have that same love for me and for one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for 
a grizzled, beat up, broken down little man named Paul who had been shipwrecked and horsewhipped and left for dead, stoned, and sitting in a Roman house arrest with two soldiers attached to him. And yet he could write a letter and say, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And because we have been partners in the gospel. And as God is my witness, I love you with an affection that comes from Christ Jesus. And model for us who will go home in our nice cars to our nice homes to watch the evening news and sleep on our nice beds and get up tomorrow morning and do all those nice things that we do and yet at times have a hard time loving those that are around us. I know that's my problem at times. Teach us. Help us. Reprove us. Confront us so that we might be able, Father, to be that kind of loving people. As Paul said in another place, when they look at us, they will say, see how they love one another. Just look. For we ask it in the name of the one who loved us so much that he literally laid down his life for us so that we might in turn lay down our lives for each other. For Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom we pray. Amen.